Hello, welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show. I'm Andrew Slavin, and there's nothing like an international break to make you feel totally Scottish. More misery for McLeish and the Tartan Army as Scotland were beaten by Israel in the Nations League. And yes, we will dissect that derisory display shortly. But you know what? We're going to take Scotland fans and Alex McLeish back to a happier time. A simpler time when Scotland had a young manager going toe-to-toe with European giants. One night in Paris where James McFadden thought, stuff it, and let fly from 500 yards and sent a nation into ecstasy. Oh, the distance grows every time. But it was that goal and we're going to remember it. We're going retro on the Totally Scottish Football Show. We say we're doing this for you, but it's actually really for us. This is therapy. I'm Dr. Slaven, and alongside me in the studio from The Telegraph, it's JJ Bull, MD. It stands for Mad Dog. <laughs> 2020, my friend. And our guest this week, formerly of The Mail, now at Kicker, it's Anthony Joseph. Hello. Anthony, you know it's not been a very good couple of days for yeah. Scotland. But I'm reliably informed that you're off to Albania next month. Yeah, well, well I'm booked up. The, the place is yours if you want it. You, you might do a James McFadden and miss the flight. Uh, no, of course, I'll, I'll be going. But uh, I think following Scotland, these kind of trips, the football is a very small part of it. I think a lot of the players are on the same boat as you. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. JJ, we spoke last week about Liam Fontaine, uh, the Ross County defender, releasing his new single. And you've been inspired, haven't you? You've done a wee song. Yeah, I think inspire is the correct the correct word. Yes, I've done a song. <laughs> How many beers do you need to please Lee Griffiths? How many bees do you need to feed Lee Griffiths? His many, many children are surrounded by stinged winged beasts. So how many bees do you need to please Lee Griffiths? It's, I mean, it's a good question you raised there. Um, well, it's never been asked before, and I, you know, it's the job of an artist to move boundaries and move people. Well, listen, if you want to hear that song in its entirety, I can't wait for it. Um, stay tuned till the end of the podcast. It gets really weird, by the way. I mean, that that doesn't say it what gets happens. Weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Oh, so we have to get the hard part out of the way. It was the horror show in Haifa in the Nations League on Thursday. Israel recorded their first ever win over Scotland, coming from behind to win 2-1 and inflict Scotland's first defeat in League C. Alex McLeish named the same team that beat Albania last month, but they looked like strangers out there. The headline stat was Israel had 25 shots and Scotland had only seven. 25! Shots! JJ, please, <laughs> please tell me it's not that bad. I can't. I'm sorry. I mean, you saw it too. It was awful. It was terrible. The problem we have has been mentioned many times is that our two very best players are both left back and some tremendous stroke of luck afforded only to us and, I don't know, no other nations. McLeish has tried to bring in a way to play both Robertson and Tierney, and this is at the crux of the problem. So I think the problem, apart from every player being absolutely useless against Israel, is that the shape didn't help anyone. Mm. And you see during the game that no one seems to know where they're supposed to be at any given time. The three centre-backs, I thought John Souter was okay, apart from getting sent off. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Kieran Tierney does not like playing at left centre-back and celebrated this by 
chucking the ball into his own net. It's it's panic. It's um, not being settled. It's, it's rushing <clears> and being put under pressure. And you don't know what to do. They don't know where they're full. Hello, welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show. I'm Andrew Slavin, and there's nothing like an international break to make you feel totally Scottish. More misery for McLeish and the Tartan Army as Scotland were beaten by Israel in the Nations League. And yes, we will dissect that derisory display shortly. But you know what? We're going to take Scotland fans and Alex McLeish back to a happier time. A simpler time when Scotland had a young manager going toe-to-toe with European giants. One night in Paris where James McFadden thought, stuff it, and let fly from 500 yards and sent a nation into ecstasy. Ah, the distance grows every time. But it was that goal and we're going to remember it. We're going retro on the Totally Scottish Football Show. We say we're doing this for you, but it's actually really for us. This is therapy. I'm Dr Slavin, and alongside me in the studio from The Telegraph, it's JJ Bull, MD. Stands for Mad Dog. (laughs) 2020, my friend. And our guest this week, formerly of The Mail, now at Kicker, it's Anthony Joseph. Hello. Anthony, you know it's not been a very good couple of days for Scotland, but I'm reliably informed that you're off to Albania next month. Yeah, well, well I'm booked up. The, the place is yours if you want it. You, you might do a James McFadden and miss the flight. Uh, no, of course, I'll, I'll be going. But uh, I think following Scotland, these kind of trips, the football is a very small part of it. I think we, a lot of the players are on the same boat as you. Yeah, I know, exactly. JJ, we spoke last week about Liam Fontaine, uh, the Ross County defender, releasing his new single. And you've been inspired, haven't you? You've done a wee song. Yeah, I think inspire is the correct the correct word. Yes, I've done a song. <laughs> How many beers do you need to please Lee Griffiths? How many beers do you need to feed Lee Griffiths? His many, many children are surrounded by stinged, winged beasts. So how many bees do you need to please Lee Griffiths? It's, I mean, it's a good question you raised there. Um, well, it's never been asked before, and I, you know, it's the job of an artist to move boundaries and move people. Well, listen, if you want to hear that song in its entirety, I can't wait for it. Um, stay tuned till the end of the podcast. It gets really weird, by the way. I mean, that that doesn't say it what gets happens. Weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. So we have to get the hard part out of the way. It was the horror show in Haifa in the Nations League on Thursday. Israel recorded their first ever win over Scotland, coming from behind to win 2-1 and inflict Scotland's first defeat in League C. Alex McLeish named the same team that beat Albania last month, but they looked like strangers out there. The headline stat was Israel had 25 shots and Scotland had only 7. 25! Shots! JJ, please, <laughs> please tell me it's not that bad. I can't. I'm sorry. I mean, you saw it too. It was awful. It was terrible. The problem we have has been mentioned many times is that our two very best players are both left back and some tremendous stroke of luck afforded only to us and, I don't know, no other nations. McLeish has tried to bring in a way to play both Robertson and Tierney, and this is at the crux of the problem. So I think the problem, apart from every player being 
absolutely useless against Israel is that the shape didn't help anyone. Mm. And you see during the game that no one seems to know where they're supposed to be at any given time. The three centre-backs, I thought John Suter was okay apart from getting sent off. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Kieran Tierney does not like playing at left centre-back and celebrated this by chucking the ball into his own net. It's it's panic. It's um, not being settled. It's, it's rushing <clears> and being put under pressure. You don't know what to do. They don't know where their full-backs are meant to be or the wing-backs. Andrew Robertson, great player, great as a left-back. He's basically a wing-back for Liverpool, but his starting position is deeper and he has much better players alongside him. So when Liverpool go forward with these wing-backs and they send them pinging up the pitch, they've always got a number six sitting in there. Mm-hmm. Do you know, it's like uh, Wijnaldum this, this season or whatever. But uh, the midfield we had was Kevin McDonald and John McGinn. What is a Kevin McDonald? <laughs> I don't get it either. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to oh, me. Oh, he's played in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I want him to be good. Another problem we had was Tierney was pushing far too high. He he was almost playing like he was playing at Celtic. Left back pushing, bombing forward. And but what Robertson then should have done was gone, gone yeah, No, <laughs> gone into Tierney's position. If Tierney's pushing pushing on, Robertson shouldn't for a start, if they're playing three at the back, well, you could call it five, I call it three, but if it's if he's left centre half Tierney should not be bombing up down the wing like he's doing. And if he if he does, then someone's got to cover his Well, his is that, is that, is But that... Robertson was not doing that. He was playing alongside them and they just didn't know what... They were, the whole team didn't know what they were doing and what positions they were meant to play. Yeah. Or you have a defensive midfielder that, that goes into that, that slot. Was well, that not a case of, you know, a sheer, sheer lack of communication all around the park? Andrew Robertson, I, I kind of heralded the fact that he was made captain... Brilliant story, um, and, and I really thought that he was the right person for the role. Um, but if, if well, you change your mind now, <laughs> no, no, I, I haven't. Past tense, but, Andrew. But I think I, I do believe that looking at the game, uh, watching it, why is there no one really shouting from the rooftops? Like what, there was nobody was kind of screaming at each other, like going, "What are you doing?" It's because no one knows. And I, I want to know. I'd love to see how McLeish has set this up because there's nothing wrong with the system, and it makes sense. Because um, to get those two players playing together, in possession, what should happen is that Tierney can move up into a different strata, a midfield strata, or you can even overlap and Andrew Robertson can come inside as inside. So I see what you're saying, but um, I think when Tierney goes up, Robertson needs to push on because it should be he can only go when Scotland are in possession of the ball. So then that would mean you've got number numerical advantage higher up the pitch. And we're playing against a team who's set up with the, you know, the same shape, really. But... Again, you're right. It's not a back three. It was a back five. Yeah. So I don't think they knew when they're supposed to press. Um, Naismith was left isolated. He couldn't press. There's no point because as soon as he went to someone, they would just pass the ball. Then McGregor and, and Russell don't seem to know when they're meant to press. If it's, a, if it's a low block or a mid or meant to go forward, it doesn't seem like there was any cohesion. The spacing between midfield and defence was wrong. There's no Scott Brown in the team to tell you where to go. I think even if Brown had been in there, I don't know what he would have made of it. Alex McLeish said that it was the same formation that Scotland played against Albania and yep. won the game. So so Alex McLeish could respond to the, what you're saying, that Robertson and Tierney can work with this system. No, but I think it can. I think the system's fine. I think there's nothing wrong with the system. And McLeish said, he said, I know every system there is. And, and he's dead right, because there's just nothing wrong with the system, but the players didn't look comfortable in it, whether that's because they were just nervous because they were playing away in an atmosphere they didn't like, even though this ground was mostly empty. So Mulgrew's off at half-time, so you've got Scott McKenna, very young, again, a captain in the future, but he's young. Tierney, very young. Suter, very young. Stephen O'Donnell is not young, but acts like he is. He's 26. He's not young. He's just an experience at But he level. seems like he is, right? And then you've got Johnny Russell, I don't care. Uh, Callum McGregor is decent enough. 
um, McGinn's fine, but they're all new. They're all new together, thrown in. There's no voice. There's no continuity from the last group of players come in. So you're trying to learn each other. You're trying to get the chemistry right with a new bunch of, new bunch of players. No idea what the shape's going on. And you've got Israel who do know what they're doing. And they were playing well. They had good players. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think you'd agree the best one was the lad Dabber. Dabber. Him. Yeah. for Salzburg and scored two goals. <coughs> he was excellent. Celtic in Europa League. But Scotland have good players. Mm-hmm. And they're just all all over the place. You've got Tierney and Robertson who are amazing left-backs. Arguably two of the best left-backs in Britain and Europe, maybe. Strong. <laughs> You've we'll got, well, go. cer- certainly Robertson. <laughs> yeah. But none of them are playing left back. You're not playing either of them left back, which uh, I think if you did have them as a four, you'd have them in a more comfortable positions, both of them. If you had Tierney left back and you had Robertson left mid, they could overlap each other. They could they could swap with each other. They, I think they'd be more comfortable in that. But it did look very promising against against Albania. It was just amazing to see how wrong it went. Scotland went on to lose to Portugal reserves on Sunday at Hamden. We were hoping for something that might bring back a bit of a feel-good factor, but that didn't really happen. So the shape changed to more conventional 4-4-2, 4-4-1-1, right? So that's good. Stephen O'Donnell, a right-back where he's supposed to be, Andrew Robertson at left-back. There's no Kieran Tierney because he was suspended, I think, wasn't he? And no, Shooter, no. No, he's he, no, he, was he, he dropped out because he's played too many games, apparently. Yeah. Well, doesn't matter now. Fine, I get it. He also must have hated playing that last game. I don't blame him at all. So, uh, I'd have loved Jack Hendry started right now he's a young boy I don't think he should be getting put in these situations when he's clearly out of form it could really damage him he's been terrible for Celtic who can't defend just now <laughs> so throwing him into the international game even though it's a friendly I think and also so you see England play Croatia and behind closed doors yeah, it's the same yeah. atmosphere same sound in the Hamden game it was odd yeah. really odd like, atmosphere really weird. from what I, list- what I heard I do, I do agree with you on Jack Hendry I felt really sorry for him because he's he desperately needs a run of games where the spotlight isn't on him. Yeah. And I think every single goal he was in or around... Yeah, those two goals, were, they were his fault. Um, so, def- uh, well, definitely the last one. We're joined now, though, by our old friend Stefan Binkowski, co-founder of 2.1, a really cracking website, and you should all be visiting it. Stefan, we've got a job for you. It might be a difficult one, um, but your job is to find some positives for Scotland after this international break. Please. How long do you guys have? Um, I, I don't know. I think I think the kind of w- where I kind of land on it is that um, I'm cynical of the cynicism uh, around the Scotland national team. If I'm being honest with you, um, I think the problem with McLeish is that from day one he never had the public support. Um, you know, I think when Strachan was believed of his duties, people wanted someone a little different, and McLeish is kind of of a similar ilk to Strachan. Sense he's an older manager. Um, we've seen it all before to an extent. However, the problem that lies with that is that McLeish hasn't really taken to the job the same way Strachan, and I think he actually deserves a bit more time because of that. Strachan was ultimately relieved of his job because he refused to build a long-term team. He refused to really consider Scottish domestic players at all, and he was largely picking his stack of livings based on which players had seemed the most entertaining, the most the most famous, I guess, and that usually meant he picked a squad full of Premier League has-beens to an extent, and it led to a lot of fans wondering, A, when are the young players going to get their chance, and B, what about these players for Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, Hibs, etc., um, who are doing perfectly well and perhaps deserve a spot over these Premier League stars. McLeish has came in and he's done that, and although we had a really poor performance in Israel, you know, I think he still deserves credit, and I think we have to kind of bear that in mind. While people's first initial reactions to McLeish may be, 
oh, well, he's a bit boring and I'm not really on board with this. What he's trying to do certainly deserves more patience than to suggest that for just the second competitive game. After winning the first one, bear in mind, they, we should just pan the whole thing and wipe the slate clean again. And Gordon Strachan's last four years in charge of Scotland, the only one against Lithuania, Malta and Gibraltar on the road. Mm. So it's not just Scotland or this team who have suddenly gone from winning away games every other year uh, and then suddenly decide to throw that in the bin. We've never been good in the road and we've certainly never been good at doing professional jobs against teams around us or slightly perhaps below us in terms of quality. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably exactly where I land when I say something like, uh, you know, I'm cynical of the cynicism because I think a lot of people maybe have their own predisposed um, opinions on McLeish and I think they came to the bear or came to the fore after the after these couple of games. The Portugal game as well, just going on the first half alone, I thought Scotland actually looked far better. You know, we had certain players playing in the normal positions, um, things like Stuart Armstrong coming into the squad instead of Kev McDonald. I think there's certainly positives to be taken from these, if we consider it in the wider context of McLeish trying to build a squad. What you get with Scotland is there's a huge overreaction after any game. Mm-hmm. I think there was a huge overreaction after we beat Albania. Everyone thought, oh, this is this is the new way Scotland looked very dangerous, like very attacking, free-flowing football. It was, it was like that. And then there's this, been this huge overreaction against Israel. And people saying that this is like our worst ever result. It's, it's, it's nowhere near our worst ever yeah. It's like Macedonia was worse. Georgia was worse. Mm. Um, this is a, Israel. So many. <laughs> is, yeah, it's Israel and Albania are two teams who are in our kind of category. This that's the whole point of the UEFA Nations League. We're we're in League C. They are meant to be of similar quality to us. Yes, Israel have had a terrible run of form. I think what was it one win in ten before before yeah, they played yeah. against us. Yeah. But they're they're still they've still got decent players. We have to earn the right to be a, a higher level than them, and that that's what this UEFA Nations League is. Yeah, it's I don't know about you, but I always grew up dreaming of playing in League C. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Time to take you back to the 12th of September 2007. Russia are testing the largest non-nuclear explosive in the history of the world. Comedian Louis C.K. is celebrating his 40th birthday and the number one song in the UK is this. But you know who's not feeling suicidal? Scotland fans. At this point, it had been 10 years since Scotland had qualified for a major tournament. Scotland were in a group with Italy, France and Ukraine amongst others, with the top two qualifying for Euro 2008. But it had been a strong qualifying campaign in Group B, with the headline result being victory over France a year earlier at Hamden, thanks to Gary Caldwell. Hartley and we're comes up, chance However, the Scots had lost away games against Italy and Ukraine, so many were expecting the same again in France. And manager Walter Smith had left his position in January 2007 to take over at Rangers. So Alex McLeish's Scotland travelled to Paris in September to face a French side containing Patrick Vieira, Frank Ribéry, Claude Makélélé and Lillian Turam. They had beaten Lithuania at Hamden the previous Saturday and McLeish made some big decisions. He dropped Rangers striker Chris Boyd to the bench, a man who'd scored four goals in qualifying. James McFadden was preferred on his own up front. 
Captain Barry Ferguson was back from suspension. 35-year-old Burnley right-back Graham Alexander was preferred to Derby left-back Jay Machiavelli and he was played out of position at left-back up against a young Frank Ribery. JJ, Anthony, where did you watch this? I was working behind the bar. Yeah? Yeah. What bar was that? It was a, um, a place called The Bobbin. It's in Aberdeen. It's next to the, uh, the, the student-y bit of the university was. It's probably uh, pouring a pint at a time. And there was an awful bounce when the goal went in. Wow. I remember that. It was quite loud. Anthony? I was watching it at my mate Ryan's house back in Aberdeen as well. What, what we'd done is actually the previous game when we'd beaten France 1-0 with Gary Caldwell at Hamden, I was also there and watching it with his dad. And then when this game came around... I was seen as the lucky charm, so we're like, we've got to, we've got to do this again. <laughs> Set it up. We all sat in the same places. We were jumping up and down. We couldn't believe it when when McFadden hit the net. But I'll always remember the national anthem of that game. It was one of the best national anthems we've had at an away game. It was like twenty thousand Scots were there, and they were all in the home end as well. I think you saw that when McFadden scored. Half the ground was celebrating that. There were so many had travelled to, to that game and so many in the Parc de Prades. Certainly in my lifetime, it was one of the best experiences as a Scotland fan. Yeah. Tony, why the hell didn't you watch the Israel game there? <laughs> <laughs> I, loved, I loved the line um, that was said at full time. We'd won the game and the commentator had said, you know, Scotland have came to Parc de Prince, the Park of Princes, and now they are kings. I was like, oh... Oh, that is class. They've had those written for ages, though. Do, do you know? Do you want you to come up with that and you're like, yeah, I've got it. Do you want to know where I was when that goal yeah. was scored? Do I? I was in the bog. I was the toilet. Yeah, <laughs> I was in the lavatory, and I couldn't believe it. I was so nervous about the game. Not a lot of my friends that you had to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had I had a real mixture of friends who were football fans and and not football fans. So it was a real mixture of people in the pub where I went to watch the game and it was really difficult I was very vocal <laughs> at, the, at the TV um, but it was great Again, not in the bathroom <laughs> it was great because it was one of those times where I, I just remember not in the bathroom no <laughs> I'm off to the toilet today a faddy like <laughs> um, no so I just remember how do you disrespect our patron saint like that honestly Stunning. I, I just remember I didn't I didn't come out of the toilet with my kicks around my heels. Um but it was just nice to kinda <laughs> come out and the place was jumping. Brilliantly brought down by McFadden, he's going for goal! James McFadden scores the best goal he scored for his country! Absolutely sensational! Long way out! Oh, what a goal! What a goal! What a goal by McFadden! Magic from James McFadden! He's a genius again for Scotland! They've been suckered in the Park de Prince! So that voice you just heard there is Peter Martin, then of Radio Clyde. And Peter joins us now. Peter, do you remember what you were thinking during that goal, or did you just black out? <laughs> well, the one thing that sticks in my mind I can remember is the fact that we couldn't get out of our own half. Mm. And the funny thing is, I've had a million and one of those guys um, actually talk to me about it, the guys who played in the actual game, and they laugh about it because they were just totally and utterly bombarded by you know, a team that was absolutely rippling with world-class players. Ribéry, Vieira, Makaleli was there, Trezeguet, Anelka. It was just unbelievable. Um, and, you know, for us to actually just get one chance, I can still remember 
celebrating James McFadden got a nutmeg on the halfway line at one point in the game, and that was the only highlight until suddenly he picked that ball up. And, you know, if you listen to James, it's 45 yards out. I think it was 35, but it was still an absolute screamer. It was brilliant. <laughs> I think it was about a million yards, actually. I would say it's, it seems to get bigger every time I see it. I mean, it. the great... Every player that, that I've spoken to who played in that game was thinking, what is James doing? He's 35 yards out. Have a word with yourself. But uh, but uh, James, listen, he was, he was like that. He was he was the talisman for Scotland and he could do something right out of the ordinary, something special. And I always remember after the game, I went down to interview him and I said, did you enjoy that goal? He says, apparently all my mates have said not as much as you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, speaking of that, so as a as a commentator, do you think you've felt that kind of level of pure raw emotion come out before when you've been talking a game? Because I, I was well, thinking about this in football, it's so rare that humans can ever emote quite so loudly in a public sphere. <laughs> well, strangely enough, the, the, the funny thing is I've been quite lucky in a sense that I, I, I was working at Radio Clyde at a time when they did commentary. So it was great. I mean, Scotland is very limited as a market. If you don't work for the BBC, then you don't get a lot of opportunities to commentate on football. Fortunately for us, we were in a commercial market at the time where we could afford to actually buy it. Mm. So France was superb. Um, I was lucky because it was also a period where we were, we had teams doing well. I mean, 2003 is an iconic moment for Celtic fans because I commentated on a game when Henrik Larsson scored the only goal for Celtic against Boa Vista to get them into the UEFA Cup final. They had that as ringtones. Um, I also had Sir David Murray ask me if they could have my commentary on, um, you know, Scott McDonald scored for Motherwell and I came out with the phrase, the helicopter's changing direction ah, for, remember, Rangers winning, for Rangers winning the title on the last day at, at Easter Road. So so there was those little moments, but a lot of my mates, you know, some of them who were, uh, you know, Celtic fans said, how can you get excited about every goal? But that was just that I, I would go up the park, play football with my mates, you know, commentate, get excited, score a goal and, uh, you know, and start commentating when I was a kid with them. So, it's very easy for me to get excited at an, an East Stirling goal or a Scotland goal in a World Cup qualifier because if you love the game and you're passionate, it doesn't matter who's playing. Peter, we were, um, we've been reminiscing on this game just purely to kind of heal our hearts a little bit um, after the last <laughs> two games. We were talking about the atmosphere in the Parc des Princes that night. It was, it was fantastic to see an away support that vocal. Well, not only that, but it, the one great thing about Scotland and, and the Tartan Army is they always seem to negotiate tickets for places they shouldn't be. <laughs> and, and that was the classic night because I can remember walking down into the commentary position for the press and I looked to my left and there was the Tartan Army. I looked below me and they were there as well. I looked opposite where the French fans were in, in abundance and there were you know, members of the Tartan Army. So they managed to get tickets by hook or by crook. And remember, this is all off the backdrop that we'd mugged them at Hamden. Mm. And Thierry Henry looked at the camera, straight down the barrel of the camera, and he said, you know, after Scotland had mugged them in uh, Glasgow, he said, 
we'll see you in Paris. <laughs> so this was ba- this was basically the Tap Army going there thinking, <laughs> we are going to get absolutely battered. He's an angry man. The French are going to get us. So the whole thing is, was set up really for us to go there, enjoy ourselves in Paris, and be on the end of a 5 or 6 nothing hiding. But oh, how it turned out to be the complete opposite. That McFadden goal caused a young JJ Bull to write a song entitled James McFadden Will Save the World. Speaking of things that were better when they were young, <laughs> I remember Scotland being quite good when I was slightly younger. During the era that Faddy scored from 40 miles. Yeah. Do you remember the team? So this is the difference between what McLeish has now to what yeah, he had then. Yeah. The goalkeeper, Craig Gordon, is the same keeper, but right back, Alan Hutton, not Stephen O'Donnell. The Scottish Cafu. Yeah, Alan Hutton was very good. Could have played for the Premier League. And he did. He played for Spurs. Although I do remember, it was quite funny when uh, when uh, Tottenham um, signed him from Rangers for about £9 million or something like that. I think it was, was it Juan de Ramos? Mm. He was asking that in a post-match interview the week before Alan Hutton had signed. It was like, oh, so... The rumours are that Tottenham are about to sign Alan Hutton. He was like, who is Hutton? (laughs) (laughs) Alan Hutton will make sure he knows that pretty soon. Yeah. Centre-back. So, this is what you want. Stephen McManus, a captain, a leader, a good defender. Next to Davey Weir, a good defender. So that's your two centre-backs. They can direct. That's how you keep a team solid. And there's that balance of young and old. Yeah, and they they can score from a a set-piece as well. That's the thing. And good at defending them as well. They were just good players. Mm -hmm. Graham Alexander, yeah. Doing a job, I think. Yeah. That's what it was, wasn't it? you have squad players. Lee McCulloch. Yeah. And then the rest of the midfield is... Uh, look, look at this for midfield. Barry Ferguson. Great player. Mm-hmm. Scott Brown. Great player. He was 22 mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Paul Hartley. Another leader. Darren Fletcher. Playing sort of left mid. But again, a great player. And another kind of like, leader of men. That's a team that McLeish had that was hard to beat. I have to admit, looking back and when I was kind of researching for this pod, I was just thinking, wow... What a decent side we actually had. It was a decent side, but it was also a, a great time for Scottish football. I think I think that season was the best season for all of Scottish football in my lifetime, certainly. Because you had uh, Celtic and Rangers both in the Champions League group stages that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Celtic got to the last 16 for a second time. That's right. Rangers got to the UEFA Cup final mm-hmm. that season. Aberdeen got to the last 32 of the UEFA Cup and drew with Bayern Munich at home, as, oh, as yeah. we all remember. Right. I remember and, the Sonia Luko and, goal. And, and Scotland were beating France home and away. I, I can't think of a better season for Scottish football than 2007-2008. If this, if this team were playing in the, uh, I'll put it out there, the English Premier League, right? where would it finish? A midfield of, well, we'll call it a midfield of Robertson, McGregor, McDonald, McGinn, Russell and O'Donnell. Relegated. I think they would struggle. Yeah, I think yeah. they would struggle. Especially if we play three five two. Well, yeah, but I mean, and, and obviously that's you know it's, it's conjecture and everything. But if you, you imagine, you look at the team that that McLeish put out in Paris. That's uh, really worrying. But that's but that's something that, like you said, when you started reeling off the team, McLeish had good options and he had a good balance to the side. He's now dealing with a lot of young players. Now I know going back to that. That game in Paris, McFadden was 24, Fletcher 23, Scott Brown 22. Fine, but you've got a good balance of experienced yeah, heads in there that have you know, gone through the mill, you know, worked hard at their careers and, and they've worked under different 
tactical setups. Mm-hmm. McLeish is almost starting from scratch with a lot yeah. of players that that aren't used to it. Even like Kilmarnock's O'Donnell, twenty six, but he's not played at this level yeah. before. But I like this, and this I, I think he's doing the right thing because although I'm saying that you look back and you know with your tinted glasses and how good it all was back then, we were still weren't very good back then even, but. What you have now is that McLeish has to look towards the future and he's doing it now. It's a work in progress. It will take time. It will take years for us to get any good. But you need to bring these players through. The one problem and the difficulty he's got particularly is there's not a real crossover of old handing over to new. It's just new chucked in. And I know they're missing players uh, through injury because they want to get fit and stuff like that. So, what we're looking back on that team from ten years ago, there was a there was that balance, there was that mix. Whereas at the moment, if you look at our midfield just now, we've got a lot of neat and tidy players that are are okay. There's nothing special there, and but we don't have a, a big leader, a strong leader like a yeah. Scott Brown or a Paul Hartley or or someone like that who would drive the team on. We just we just lack that at the moment. So what happened after Paris then? What happened then? Well, Scotland beat Ukraine three one at Hamden the following month, so it was all looking rosy. But the hammer blow and qualification came in Tbilisi a few days later when Scotland lost 2-0 to Georgia. The cross, Sivete 2-0! A horrible moment the fans of Scotland. Georgia just kick us in the teeth when they need to, don't they? I remember watching that and I knew we'd lose it. Do you know where I was for that one? The toilet. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. I was in Harley's in air and I remember genuinely believing... Oh, this is amazing. Georgia Mints, we're definitely going to win this. I need to stop being so positive on yeah. game day. I just, I, I knew after all the good stuff we'd done, after beating France, I, to, I, think I was watching it, I probably in the bobbin again, that same bar I used to work in, and I was just convinced we wouldn't get a result out of it. And I saw it happening mm. before my eyes like a very slow Did car crash. Did we take out a new kit just for that game? Did we not play in that all red kit? And I'm pretty sure that's the only time we played in... <laughs> in Georgia? Uh, yeah, in Georgia. I think you're right. You well, know, I think you're I'd right. I'd love to check it back, but maybe check it back. Um, but I think we took that kit out just for that game well, because we didn't have a third kit then. Despite that, it was going to be victory over Italy at Hamden, um, who were the world champions at the time, weren't they? Yep. So a pulsating night ended with... Ah! Christian Panucci scoring a last-minute <laughs> winner for the visitors. I mean, I actually... <laughs> My girlfriend hated me the other night because I watched this game back um, and I actually felt like I was back again watching it. We were so good. I can remember yeah. the exact moment the free kick given. I can remember it. I was standing next to a puggy to my right and I'd, I'd, I was so nervous for that game that I think I'd... Um, obviously, you shouldn't do this. I'd downed several alcoholic beverages. Was this a... The was tenant's this a, form. Was this a puggy in bobbins? It was a puggy in, in the bobbin, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember watching it and... I, I just, it wasn't a free kick. It was never a free kick. It was never a free kick. Never. Oh, the linesman is he going to alert the referee? Yeah, I mean it's a free kick, but it's a Scotland free kick. Fired across. The header goes in, and Scotland are out. Scotland are down. Christian Vinucci, who came close moments ago from a free kick that should never have been. It's a free kick that never was. But in the eyes of the referee, it was. Craig Gordon is beaten, and so are Scotland. Never a free kick, established. And at the time, I mean, it was that, it's that feeling of helplessness, like you're being taken hostage, yeah. like they're driving you out into the middle of the desert, and that's you, gun to your head now, 
You're done. I, I'm I'm gone. Like I, I just remember it. I remember being seething. It was Luca Tony uh, kind of coming in on Alan Hutton, and it was a it was a shoulder barge. It ominously went into Hutton he like a tank. Hutton. It, was yeah. more, it was more a free kick for Scotland. Yeah, it was it was a nonsense, and the yeah. linesman was right there. He was right in front of it. And, this and, is this is when I first built my tinfoil hat. Was this day? Yeah, <laughs> but do, do you know another thing as well? Because um, uh, so Italy took the lead um, within like the throwing, first seventy yeah. seconds. Just sets it up like it sets it up like a total perfect, um, dramatic night. Like, oh, Scotland, what are you doing to us? But then Barry Ferguson scored his first goal for Scotland at Hampden. Yeah, he slid it in, didn't he? So you're like, oh, the stars are aligning again. This is wonderful. And then we get stuffed. Yeah, I know. Honestly, it's oh, I'm so we're so Scottish. I remember I was at that. I was actually at that game, and it was. I remember the build. I've never seen a build up for a game like it for a Scotland game the whole week everyone was just buzzing for this because we'd beaten France at home and away we'd beaten Ukraine who were World Cup quarter finalists as well and this was our, our last chance it was Saturday night 5.30pm game I remember it was children in need on the night before and they had run rig <laughs> and they had run rig in the studio in Glasgow playing Loch Lomond Aww. and everyone was was Jackie Bird and all that waving the Scotland flags it was the whole country was buzzing for it and then it just it, heartbreak at the end. It's one of those where it's like I remember talking to mates. It was the time when Pirlo was just amazing at free kicks, and all of our heads went down as soon as that happened. You know, we're like, oh, well, he knew it was going to go somewhere decent. Yeah, I know, I know. Was Buffon not wearing a hat that game as well? It was like a funny, weird kind of. <laughs> I it was weird. Like a pork pie hat. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was chucking a it sombrero. down the rain. Chucking yeah. it down the rain. I had that same feeling actually. You know when Lewandowski scored that goal for Poland against Scotland in the recent yeah, thingies. Yeah, exactly. I had the same uh, vague like I, I've seen this before. I know what happens here. Yeah. I remember seeing that. I was live blogging for the Telegraph, mm. and I just I, I was smashing the keyboard. And just hit and enter. <laughs> it's online if you want to see it. Yeah, it did actually fall apart. But I expected that as well. I mean, these things, these things happen, don't you know, they? We, we've, we've kind of gone through a, a lot in this pod already. Um, but, you know, we look back at when Alex McLeish was on his first stint as manager of Scotland. You know, 11 months and he had a, a 70% win percentage. My God, that's good. That's really good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. For 11 months. And then um, he left us. Birmingham <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for listening we hope you feel a little bit better about Scotland's chances and also thinking back about those good old days in Paris we will be back next Monday after two teams that won 6-0 last time out go head to head in the Premiership Celtic against Hibs and it's a big game at Tynecastle as Hearts play Aberdeen JJ you're going to finish us off now with your fancy wee song this, this actually might finish a lot of heads off yeah <laughs> We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. This one goes out to my boy, Lee Griffiths. And bees, what a magnificent animal. How many bees do you need to please Lee Griffiths? How many bees do you need to feed Lee Griffiths? His many, many children are surrounded by stinged, winged beasts. So how many bees do you need to please Lee Griffiths? Lee Griffiths had all the bees in Scotland, but something was missing. He wasn't happy. He didn't feel complete. Perhaps another bee would fill the hole. So Lee went wandering into the farm to see if he could find a bee, or even a swarm. 
even though his wife is allergic to bees. And then he saw the goli tree. What would the goli tree have in store? But then something happened he didn't expect. The goli tree came to life and he said, Lee, I am in mortal danger. I need your help for you to dismember all of the crows in the sky. They keep plucking my straw and stealing my eyes. And if you do this, I will give you a bee. And Lee realized that perhaps his malaise could be cured by helping the scarecrow buddy. How should I attack the crows? He said, you should attack the crows with a rake. And so Lee took a rake and he attacked the crows. Attacked the crows. Swinging the rake over his head. Crushing the skulls of the crows. Skulls, crows, crows, crossed. Well, Lee, you did as I said. You've killed the crows with a rake crossed all their tiny bird skulls into little bits and for your wonderful work I will give you a giant bee just make sure you are home tonight and at about 7.30pm sharp the doorbell will ring it will be a bee it was a doorbell it was there in the yard it had legs it had arms and they knew right away it was all tender what in a bee suit There was a bee in the yard, it had legs, it had arms, and they knew right away it was all dead in water and a bee suit, yeah. Bee suit, yeah. Oh, that bee in the yard with legs and its arms, it was giant, sure, but Lee could tell it was all dead in water and a bee suit, yeah. Do you have neighbors? Yeah. Cool. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the Totally Football League Show with Caroline Barker and, of course, the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. (laughs) 